Welcome to the Paradigm Shift on 4ZZZ 102.1, where we challenge the assumptions of our current society to resist oppression and investigate alternative ways of living for a world based on justice, solidarity, and sustainability. Welcome to the Paradigm Shift on 4ZZZ 102.1 FM. It's your local community radio station you're currently tuned to. And my name is Andy and I'll be hanging out with you for the next hour until 1 o'clock. And today on the show, I'm going to be talking about IMARC, the International Mining and Resources Conference that is on right now as we speak in Sydney. I've got the little uh, PR thing on their own website here. Seven and a half thousand plus attendees, 100 plus countries, 470 exhibitors, more than 800 mining companies, more than 450 speakers on 17,000 square meters of expo floor. That's what's happening at iMark. And they're all there talking about how to make a buck out of digging up stuff out of the ground. Um, what they won't talk much about is the damage that they're doing to our environment in various ways, to our climate and to the cultures in many of the places where those things are being dug up. In fact, the uh, democracies and government as well as the human rights of people where those things are being dug up. And so it's up to the protesters to do that and as such there is a group outside the Darling Harbour Convention Centre right now in Sydney um, under the name Blockade Imark. They are doing a bit of a protest and a bit of a counter-gathering to talk about what other possibilities are there for international connections beyond making money out of digging up things out of the ground. So today on the show, I'm going to talk about Jonah Shabtai, who is there at um, Blockade Iomark. I spoke to him just uh, half an hour ago or so about what's going on. I'm also going to speak to Marisol Salinas, who is part of LASNET, Latin American Solidarity Network, and also part of Blockade Iomark about uh, a conference. They organized a counter-conference called Life and Death, talking about resisting extractivism across borders. And... I'll also speak to Anastasia Radievska, who is a lawyer in Sydney and who's going to give us a bit of a report on a new feature of IMARC this year, which is extraordinary intimidation and harassment of protesters. Some of the most uh, incredible policing I have ever seen. In the last week or two, police have paid more than 40 visits to the houses of 
people who are known climate activists and have warned them that if they turn up to um, IMARC and protest that they could be breaking laws and facing serious penalties. Of course, New South Wales has brought in new laws targeting protesters, as you may have heard on the Paradigm Shift a couple of weeks ago. And so that is uh, what's been happening. And so I spoke to Anastasia, who has been keeping track of it all for legal observers in New South Wales. So stay tuned anyway. That is what's coming up. I spoke to Jonah Shabtai, who is currently outside IMARC as part of Blockade IMARC. Let's hear what Jonah has to say. My name's Jonah, and um, I'm here at the Blockade IMARC protest in Sydney. Um, yeah, first time that the conference has come to Sydney, and uh, yeah, here we are. Okay, well, to start off with, do you want to tell us a bit about what is IMARC? IMARC, the International Mining and Resources Conference, which is, yeah, it's, it's been held in Melbourne um, up until this year and the government has moved it to Sydney um, and it's essentially where, yeah, hundreds of companies as well as uh, government ministers and, uh, uh, yeah, you know, people interested in um, the industry come together and make deals, they come together and the greenwashed lies they come together and um, plot ways to you know mine as much as they can from Australia and around the world and it's very well protected very well funded as well um, it's moved to Sydney this year has been said by the resource minister to have unprecedented levels of funding from the New South Wales government and um, yeah essentially we're here to resist we're here to uh, you know, show some voice that is in opposition to um, what's going on here because, yeah, certainly, certainly not the green picture that they're trying to paint. Mm. There's been some uh, speculating that the reason it's moved to Sydney is because of big protests in Melbourne in recent years when IMARC has been held. Do you think there's anything to that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, there was there was a pretty huge turnout to the protest in Melbourne, um, which got pretty gnarly, got pretty exciting. And um, and this year they've moved to Sydney, which happens to come at the time where Sydney or where New South Wales has introduced, you know, a fleet of new laws against protesting, um, particularly against uh, blocking roads, and as well as beefed up their uh, protest strike force, strike force guard, which was deployed this year on a number of protests. And, um, yeah, you know, it, it, it's pretty clear that New South Wales is becoming, or it has been for a while, um, a very sort of protected police state. And, uh, IMARC seems to be, you know, a target among environmental protesters for obvious reasons. And, yeah, uh, you know, it, it, it seems like they're offering a lot of protection, or the government's offering a lot of protection to the conference, um, here in Sydney. And, uh, you know, this week we've seen, yeah, we've just seen that come out in full force. I mean, there's hundreds of cops here, hundreds, and blocking every single um, major bridge and road and their stations at every station, in every train station. I'm actually looking at two police boats in Darling Harbour right now, just, you know, schmoozing. And, um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of ridiculous. The police presence there at the conference must be quite something to behold and it certainly has been um, in the last couple of weeks with police stopping in at 
different people's houses. We'll speak a bit more on the show with a lawyer, Anastasia, about that. But how do you think that's affected the ability for people to resist the conference? Yeah, I mean, here at the conference, there's hundreds of police and, you know, like dispersed among the whole surround and they're pretty much locked down the city at every train station. Um, and, you know, the, I was chatting to one of them and they've, they've pulled cops from all over the city for this event. And, um, yeah, as well as, you know, heaps of detectives that have been, as you say, visiting homes and harassing people um, in, you know, pre-empt- these preemptive strikes or whatever they want under Strike, strike Force Guard, um, which is, yeah, you know, it, 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 it's intimidation and they really don't have anything substantial um, to, 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 to validate those visits and that harassment because, you know, nothing has happened here that, um, you know, has warranted that kind of response. Um, there's actually been, you know, like permissions granted to the protesters here and, um, you know, it, it's almost embarrassing for them, like, when you look at the numbers of police that they've deployed. And, uh, yeah, not to mention that, you know, people have been harassed at their family homes, mine included, um, and, yeah, I, you know, I've never been to an IMARC protest in my life until this one. And yet they, you know, have now deemed me and a bunch of others as worthy of intimidation any time it seems that there's going to be um, a protest. So, yeah, but we still have seen some good numbers come out today. Um, you know, considering it's the first time in Sydney, there's, uh, there's a good turnout. And we've got some good groups represented here. We've got um, Extinction Rebellion. We've got Bob Brown Foundation who are here to talk about uh, the Tarkine, which is you know being directly assaulted by one of the companies in the building, and uh, as well as uh, we've got the John Rebellion, we've got the Socialist Alliance, and uh, we've got like a coalition of people sort of forming this blockade IMARC event, which is yeah pretty pretty encouraging for Sydney. Mm. And one of the things that you've tried to do is. Um, yeah, do a bit of imagining um, alternatives to extractivism in today's proceedings in speeches and things like that? Yeah, yeah. So we've had a few breakout discussions, which seems to be yeah, a pretty cool way to engage um, protesters in conversation, uh, you know, in and we've got the space and time to do it. So, yeah, some of those breakouts, you know, had, had some people... Yeah, really exploring what it could mean to live in a post-extractivist world, as well as bringing to light some things that are happening internationally. Um, for example, uh, someone from the Sudanese Revolution Supportive uh, Committee has spoken to us and joined those breakouts to um, tell us about, uh, you know, Sudanese delegates that have come here, the, the, the resource minister from Sudan, to uh, make deals with the Australian government, which, uh, yeah, will, you know, directly increase gold mining in Sudan and that has yeah been you know impossible to protest over there as well as um has you know a lot of like underground and like very violent practices involved um that are you know almost unreported on internationally and so yeah that you know it's good to have people um here informing us of those things and you know gives a bit of context to what's happening inside the building and uh yeah we kind of just have created a bit of an imaginative space here um, with the hope of, you know, you know, uniting people from different groups and different interests to sort of imagine beyond, beyond mining, beyond extraction. One of the things that you've mentioned already and that's been a focus as well of the Blockade Iomark group is the greenwashing of mining companies. Have you seen much of that? 
Yeah, totally. I mean, you know, we, we haven't directly engaged with many people from inside the building because the, you know, there's, there's barricades around the whole conference center. But we have seen from um, the agenda of the conference as well as the companies in attendance and, uh, and uh, you know, news articles that have come out um, this week uh, that, yeah, you know, there's a huge focus on the transition. There's a huge focus on carbon offsetting, which, as we know, is, uh, you know, <laughs> the Australian government's really convenient way of, um, you know, uh, uh, perpetuating extraction, you know, with a, with a nice green guise over it. Um, yeah, and it really has nothing substantial to it. And uh, pretty much, you know, all, all, all the major companies in there, Adani, um, BHP, MMG, who are down in the Tarkine, Fortescue Metals, who are over in the Pilbara, um, as well as, you know, Hunter Valley Coal and, and the rest of them. Uh, yeah, you know, m- most of them are engaged in these um, carbon offset schemes, which uh, the government of Australia actually offers those accreditations. And that makes it really hard to hold the individual companies accountable because they've externalised sort of the accreditation of those carbon offset schemes. And, you know, internationally, that's actually, yeah, been condemned. But in Australia, there's no one really pushing back on that. Um, so, yeah, that really complicates sort of <laughs> the greenwashing facade that we're trying to dismantle. But, yeah, you know, the, the direction of, like, Australian um, politics and Australian business is extraction. We know this, and there's nothing happening in that conference that is trying to slow that down. It's just making ways to speed it up and to, you know, greenify it. But ultimately, that conference is still headed towards total extraction and total, you know, desecration of Australia. So it's pretty horrific. Yeah, it's amazing. These companies, they... They're the ones that profit in the first place off the destruction of our climate. And then they don't even pay tax, most of them, as it's come out in figures recently. But then when it comes to, you know, climate adaptation, they just see it as another opportunity to put their hand out and get more money off the government. Um, And that's part of the marketing of, you know, transition and um, things like that is just a, a way of, you know, scamming more money for themselves. Totally, yeah, yeah, absolutely, and um, yeah, you know, we, we we see renewable grants and renewable sort of, you know, categorizations being given to things like, you know, um, <laughs> wood chip exports, and we, we, you know, we, yeah, uh, as you say, it's 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 really just, yeah, you know, th- th- they can see that money's there to be made, and they can see that protection is there, and social license is there in that in that image, and so that's what they're going for. All right, thanks very much. Jonah, I'll let you get back to um, being hassled by cops at Darling Harbour there. <laughs> but, um, I mean, what comes next? Uh, iMark will finish today. What's next, I guess, for Blockade iMark and for um, resisting fossil fuels? Yeah, I mean, you know, Blockade iMark, I guess, we'll see where Sydney takes it. You know, like Sydney has a broad group of, of climate, uh, you know, a broad spectrum of climate groups and um you know we've seen a good turnout um you know across the board here today so we'll see what happens for next year um obviously you know we're going to have to <laughs> monitor police behavior pretty strongly and we're also going to have to yeah, really engage with sort of civil rights groups and legal legal rights groups to um you know h- help help defend the right to protest here but um you know 
<laughs> just because they've moved states, it doesn't mean that yeah they're gonna you know they're gonna get off the hook. Like we'll still call the hassle for them as much as possible. But um, well, I guess what we're trying to do here today is sort of build a bit of community connection and a bit of community strength um, in Sydney to you know gear up for the future conferences. All right, thanks very much, Jana. No worries. Thanks, Andy. Have a good one. You're on four triple Z. 102.1 FM, The Paradigm Shift is the name of the show. Many communities around the world trying to protect their water from the fossil fuel industry and other forms of mining and uh, destructive industries as well. Um, as many people have been saying, many of the companies that are at IMARC, the International Mining and Resource Company, conference that is currently happening in Sydney are the companies responsible for that and there's many people around the world who have been trying to resist it and one of the things that Blockade IMARC has tried to do which before I go further I will say before that interview we were speaking with Jonah Shabtai who is down there in Sydney as part of Blockade IMARC but in recent years one of the things that group has been trying to do is join together people around the world who are resisting uh, extractivism and the destruction of our planet for the sake of the wealth of a few companies. And so I spoke to Marisol Salinas, um, who is part of Blockade IMARC, about some of that solidarity work they've done with people in different parts of the world. Uh, they Last week, they organized their own counter-conference to the IMARC, which they called... Uh, Life or Death, um, a conference of imagining, <coughs> talking about the issues of extractivism and imagining a different future. Let's have a listen to Marisol to find out more. You are part of Blockade IMARC, an organisation that over the last few years has been organising mostly in Nam, Melbourne. There, can you tell us a bit about, I mean, what Blockade IMARC is and what it's done in the last few years? Well, Blockade IMARC is, as you mentioned, is a, it's not an organization, it's a group of individuals, you know, independent people who decided to get together to talk about IMARC and why it was important to start denouncing, you know, this national meeting happening or international meeting happening here in Australia by them in Melbourne. Uh, because in Latin America and in Asia Pacific with these companies, mainly mining companies, what they are doing is horrible. So they are creating a lot of displacement of peasants and indigenous communities. They are polluting the rivers. They are destroying basically our environment. So that, that was one of the main reasons. Um, these companies always come with the big lie that they are bringing jobs and prosperity to the areas where the mining is going to be, but it's totally the opposite. And no one talk about that. So that, that was the original idea why so many people decided to, to get together and start organizing. Mm. And that's been a big focus, isn't it, is joining up with international movements against mining um, and linking That's them correct. to things happening in Australia. That's correct. This is an international movement. 
to respond to the International uh, Minerals and Resource Conference, I guess. Yeah, there is uh, different organizations all around the world who are already doing this, but they are uh, the affected communities. You know, the ones are already, their property or their land was where the mine is at the moment. So they are the ones organizing, campaigning, and there is an international movement to, to let everyone know what's going on, why it's important you know, for this meeting not to happen. Because, you know, this meeting is not just mining companies who come to the meeting, also any other business who profit from mining. It could be the companies who make the clothing, you know, for the miners, you know, the food, anything. Anything that has to do with mining, those are the companies who come to this international meeting and the worst part is that they always come with a plan you know all oh, right this is one part of asia or latin america there is no mine in there hmm, we can do something about it let's talk to the government let's look into the international agreements you know if there is an international agreement probably it's going to be easy for us to go in and to start a business so it's, um in Latin America and in Asia Pacific, there is no strong regulations. So for these companies, it's very easy to get in and not to respond when there is uh, environmental disasters. You know, as we have seen, you know, what happened in Brazil, what happened in Chile. Yeah, it's a totally different story when these mining companies start working in other continents. Mm. So in recent years, the IMARC conference has happened in Melbourne and there's been a big um, physical presence there to uh, resist it. Can you tell us a bit about, in recent years, what that's looked like? Look, uh, before, the, before COVID, yeah, the, the actions, uh, they were big. So, and as I mentioned before, the people from all the different ages, you know, they were coming because this is something that affects everyone. Mm. So, yeah, there were massive movements. Also, we organized conference, you know, online and also in person where local indigenous here in Australia affected by mining, you know, also they had the opportunity to come and talk about what's happening here in Australia in their community. So, I think it is uh, a strong movement, but there is already other organizations, environmentalist organizations here in Australia, you know, highlighting issues, uh, you know, that uranium mining or the nuclear waste, you know, is, is doing here in Australia. So what we did, we invite all those ones who are already doing this uh, job to join and be part of this announcing. Mm. And this year, IMARC moved to Sydney. Um, some people say that they did it because of the protests that have happened in Melbourne in recent years. Um, and it's been effective, I guess, in having less of a protest there, thanks largely to New South Wales Police. But um, you still, Blockade IMARC still organised an uh, alternative gathering, an international um, post-extractivism gathering. Can you tell us about uh, that event and uh, what happened there? Oh, we already did. We had a conference that happened. It was one day online, one day 
face-to-face here in Melbourne. Again, we, we invited all those communities uh, affected by mining. Uh, so they were talking about their stories. You know, how many people have died of contamination, communities who don't have drinkable water anymore because of the mining. So they have to wait for the truck who comes once a week with water for them to be able to have drinkable water. So all those experiences, you know, uh, coming from Asia, Pacific, Latin America, and one particular community here in Australia. Yeah, we had that uh, conference. It was pretty interesting, you know, the the attendance and how many people wanted to know more, wanted documents, you know. So I think, yes, we will continue campaigning, denouncing, and if they move to New South Wales and that somehow uh, will not allow us to organize as we were doing here, I'm sure that there is a lot of other organizations in New South Wales who will take the struggle and of course we will be there and supporting and we will continue here in victoria uh, organizing the conference especially the online part to make sure we still give the opportunity and voices you know to the voiceless because that's what it is you know people affected in other parts of the continent when there is no uh, free media there is no uh, respect to the environment where there is a conflict or a guerrilla movement and so the government and mining companies can do whatever they want you know at least they will have a voice in this online conference people will know um and the idea is to distribute all the recordings you know that we can organize so people can hear the stories and make a decision you know um is that okay that i'm here having such a good life you know in the meantime other people you know are suffering you know and i'm responsible for that do i have any responsibility so i think it's important you know just to make people think Mm. and one of the other things that uh blockade imark has tried to do in these conferences and i guess a bit in linking together in solidarity with people in different countries that does it a bit in itself but also trying to imagine a future beyond the extractive industry why do you think that's important oh definitely for what i already mentioned to you you know we all want to live in peace and we all want to enjoy you know the beautiful fresh air drink water you come into your house and you have water to drink no contamination so of course we are not just protesting to denounce this is also about making people think about that there is a better future mm-hmm. you know and definitely we are going to continue with uh, other groups here building that new future all right thanks marisol if people are interested in finding out more about um blockade imark and the conference and things like that how can they do that Oh, they just need to Google or, you know, look for Blockade Armark. They will find the webpage and information and there is some contact details of that contact emails where they can send an email if they want to know more and if they want to join. Because as you said, you know, this is a, this is a movement that is in the beginning stage. So this is just the beginning. 
Mm. Okay, thanks very much, Marisol. Yeah, thanks to you. Bye-bye. On the Paradigm Shift on Fortable Z, 102.1 FM, I was speaking with Marisol Salinas um, from Blockade IMARC about linking up internationally, making the... Uh, resistance to mining industry multinational just as the mining industry itself is multinational um, and they were organizing a counter conference to the international mining and resources conference last week i did mention earlier in the show one of the most notable things about imark this week is that we've seen an incredible level of police intimidation of protesters so if you listen to paradigm shift a few weeks ago and if you'll find a show talking about uh restrictions on protest the repression of protest in this country victoria and tasmania both bringing in new anti-protest laws and new south wales as well well uh new south wales cops took it to another level in the last couple of weeks in preemptively stopping people from going to protest by turning up at people's houses, including Jonah, who we interviewed earlier in the show, and telling them all the things that might happen to them if they come to IMARC and try to do any disruptive protest. Um, It's a pretty remarkable repression of um, basic civil liberties, I guess, to have police turn up your door, but also the recognition of the importance of protest in our society for a democracy to counter the the power of these big companies who make their profits off destroying our planet. Um, We're in a climate crisis and we need protest, right, to force change because the free market and our governments are not doing an adequate job at reining in the destructive power of the mining industry. And that's where we need ordinary people to have... Uh, levers for change have the ability to influence our society and protest is how we do that and disruptive forms of protest is a proven effective way so uh, a bit of a worry then that the new south wales government has been so keen to crush it both blockade australia protests earlier this year and um blockade imark this week which i'll just say now the reason that they were so harsh on it is because police think that it's the same group organising Blockade Australia and Blockade IMARC, which is not. Blockade IMARC has existed for like five years and did. And they could have figured that out with a little Google search, but instead they sent hundreds of cops out across the country to knock on people's doors and threaten them. Anyway, I spoke to Anastasia Radievska, who is a lawyer in Sydney and part of Sydney uh, Legal Observers, about everything that's been going on. Let's have a listen. I'm Anastasia from Legal Observers New South Wales. We're a grassroots collective of individuals who are interested in police accountability in relation to the policing of protest. Um, And we've been involved with uh, legal support for a number of uh, protests and uh, protest groups over the last couple of years. Yes, and you've certainly been kept busy in the recent months in the lead up to the IMARC mining conference in sydney can you tell us a bit about what's happened in terms of policing of those protests yeah so we've had um a somewhat unexpected i suppose escalation in relation to the policing of this particular protest 
has been done. About a week ago, uh, we began to get reports trickling in from, from Victoria and from around New South Wales of activists being visited in their homes by police, asking them about their intention to participate in, in IMARC protests, telling them uh, certain things about the legality of protesting without a permit from police, which were untrue. Um, and since then, we've had about 40 people in total all over the country from Queensland to the ACT to Victoria and New South Wales visited. So we haven't really seen this kind of national door knocking operation before from the police. And it's something that since the June protests by Blockade Australia, we did have door knocking happening within Sydney, but we haven't seen it spread out to this national scale um, and with police sort of even in Queensland and Victoria telling uh, activists about New South Wales legislation. So quite, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of national cooperation between the different police forces and seeming to be quite a centrally coordinating campaign of intimidation. So it's just been police turning up at people's house, no warrant or anything, but just to, to tell them not to come to the protest, basically, or warn them what might happen if they do. That's right. That's been part of it. And then in the last couple of days, we've also seen a number of searches carried out on vehicles uh, of individuals suspected to be connected to protest activity. Uh, that suspicion has often been on quite spurious grounds. We had a report of somebody today um, who works near the convention centre in Darling Harbour where this conference is going to waiting to go into work and was had their bag searched by police on suspicion of being a protester seemingly just because they were a young person in the area. Um, we've had also police uh, defecting cars of activists on very spurious grounds um, and a number of yeah, searches of cars, searches of belongings for articles related to protest activity such as banners, for example. So, yeah, quite concerning developments there. And linked in with this as well, you mentioned Blockade Australia protests, that there's a number of people still on extremely punitive bail conditions um, with a, a number of restrictions on their movement and association. And I think there's been... This has come up again. We've seen, I, I believe, people arrested who, for breach of bail um, because they had things that made it look like they might be going to a protest? Yeah, that's right. Well, we ha had reports um, of two people pulled over yesterday um, in the sort of Sydney region um, and had their car searched on the basis of checking their compliance with bail conditions from the June uh, protests. And one of the things was alleged that they had, that they had broken a condition of not having uh, more than one phone, which is one of the conditions that was imposed. There were a number of conditions like not using encrypted apps, not possessing more than one mobile phone, essentially to stop people from uh, you know, communicating with people to organize protests. Um, so one person actually spent a night in custody because police found uh, um, or alleged that they found a second uh, phone charger. Uh, another person spent time in custody for using uh, encrypted encrypted apps. So yeah, we've had a number of people and, and just tonight we've had another report of a person who has been arrested in Sydney for breach of bail uh, after being picked up uh, in the city. We're not clear what the circumstances of that are exactly, but yeah, it seems to be escalating as we get closer and closer to Friday, which is the last day of the conference.
So this is just total harassment of um, people who have been involved in protests with no evidence that they are involved in anything to do with IMARC. I guess the question is, how legal is this? Are police allowed to do this? Yeah, that's, that's a really interesting question. Um, unfortunately, as is often the case with policing, they have a wide scope for discretion uh, in relation to when they carry out searches. They are meant to have a reasonable suspicion that you have an article in your possession that you're going to use in the commission of what's called an indictable offence, so an offence punishable by more than two years. Uh, under the new anti-protest laws in New South Wales, obstructing traffic during a protest or even obstructing pedestrians is punishable by two years or more, so it could potentially fall under that definition. But in terms of the reasonable suspicion criterion, as I said earlier, police have just recently searched somebody just for being in an area and looking as if they could be a protester. Uh, so I'm not sure that that meets uh, that definition. Uh, the difficulty with a lot of this is that you have to actually bring a case to have all of these police assumptions tested. Um, and a lot of people don't have the resources or re even desire to engage with the legal system in that way. So essentially, unless there is public outcry um, and some push towards public accountability, many of these overreaches do go unchallenged, which is why we're working on getting, uh, you know, more politicians to speak up about it, getting New South Wales Labor to speak up about it as well, despite having supported these laws uh, going through Parliament. Uh, and that's part of, you know, pushing back against police misusing their discretion in this way that does seem to be pushing the bounds of legality. Yeah, it seems to be a trend in New South Wales. Uh, I remember last year, uh, the police chief, Mick Fuller, saying that he was going to use bizarre laws about intent to injure or kill against protesters, which is obviously, you know, a spurious use of that law and was thrown out in court. This year, we've seen these bail conditions used and now this. Um, is this a trend in New South Wales that it has been escalating? Yeah, I think, I think it is. I think part of it is that as the climate crisis is escalating and our awareness of how far away we are from doing what we need to do on it is escalating, protest is escalating and the state is responding to those escalations because they're aware that, you know, this degree of dissent is dangerous, especially when, you know, the federal Labor government is trying to sell itself as a champion of, of climate change. Uh, so over the last year, we have seen, you know, new anti-protest laws, um, totally oversized, you know, 25-year penalties invoked, although that, you know, those charges were ultimately dropped by police. Uh, a lot of it seems to be an intimidation campaign, a sort of proactive um, making people reconsider engaging in any protest that's not kind of approved by the state or entirely um, within the boundaries of what the state finds acceptable. Um, and that's part of why these visits are so concerning because despite the police insistence that they're just information giving or community relations visits, they do have an intimidatory effect and they're part of this ongoing escalation of the kinds of penalties um, that, frankly, I think most people thought that we wouldn't see in Australia, you know, two years jail for obstructing a pedestrian, trying to get into a railway station, for example. I mean, it doesn't sound like the kind of thing that most people would find acceptable in the community, but um, unfortunately, that's where we've ended up right now. 
Well, yes, you mentioned that we are in a climate crisis and obviously um, we need protests to um, force change that to protect our planet. Um, we also need protests as a basic democratic right, um, a safeguard against authoritarianism. What do we do to push back against these laws? Yeah, that's a really important question. Um, I think part of it is re valorizing protest as as a mode of democratic participation. I think uh, the funny thing about protest is that most of the things that we consider just the most basic rights that we have have been won through protest, but we don't think of them in that way because they become immediately normalized and all the dissent that led to their institution is forgotten. You know, the eight-hour workday, uh, voting for women, land rights for First Nations people. Um, I think part of it has to be a reawakening of the public consciousness as to the importance of protest for the things that they enjoy in their day-to-day -day life and the things that they even take for granted. Um, and I think opening up, you know, the scope for who can participate in protests and who we're reaching out to when we are protesting using that communal language that this is actually a communal capacity that we need to protect that matters for all of us, I think is really important. Um, and it's been great to see unions uh, speaking up more about how disruptive protest uh, is particularly important to workers' rights and that solidarity protests are part of that, um, despite the attempts of the anti-protest laws to sort of divide environmental protesters from, from unionists and from working class protesters. So part of it is finding that shared ground of protest being a resource that we can all get behind and benefit from. And part of it is also, you know, continuing to have public outcry when these things happen, not letting them become normalized. I think it's very easy to go, oh yes, well, you know, well, this happened last month, so it's the same old story. Um, I think it's important to continue speaking out about it, to really uh, realizing how far away we are from where we should be in terms of democratic liberties in New South Wales and in Australia, um, and really putting pressure on the parties that do have the capacity to change this. Ultimately, we need to push back against this being law, the anti-protest laws in New South Wales. We need to be able to create legislative change. Uh, engaging in some of that reformism, I think, while limited on its own, is part is a really important part of a broader strategy of creating the political space for broad protest participation. So I would hope that everybody uh, who is able to engage in those campaigns in the capacity that they have, whether that's through something as simple as signing a petition or turning up to to the protests that are happening in your area. Those are all important ways. Okay, thanks very much, Anastasia. Thank you, Andy. That is Anastasia Radievska there speaking to the Paradigm Shift about the repression of protests that's happened in the last few weeks in New South Wales and it is part of a trend across the country and as Anastasia points out there, it doesn't just affect the few people who get cops turning up at their house uh, when the right to protest is under attack. It affects us all and people in the future as well who have to inherit a society where mining companies were allowed to ride roughshod over our democratic rights to um, further their own profits because that's the reality of what happens when we don't have the the power to push back as ordinary people is that those who do have the power 
mining companies like those at Iremark today who have got all kinds of politicians and uh, public servants and things like that coming. They're giving them their spiels. They're promising all kinds of kickbacks, who knows, and it'll end up that our um, society is given over to people who are just in it to make a buck out of our planet. So join the protests, that's what I say. Support those people like uh, the people who have been protesting outside IMARC today because we need it. We are in a, a very dire situation environmentally and it's only people like you and me who are going to be able to fix it, getting together and doing what we can Um, That's about all we have time for on The Paradigm Shift. See you next week.